Let's give praise to the Lord together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to express my appreciation as others that have stepped to this pulpit. And I'm not just doing this as a matter of obligation, but I truly do appreciate everything that the people of God do for me. And I appreciate uh, Elder Dudley and don't feel worthy of his kind words, but I do appreciate his friendship and what he is doing for the apostolic movement as well. Uh, it's been a beautiful thing to me to watch how God is bringing men together over the last few years and linking up uh, strong men, which in turn strengthens everyone. And uh, it's not easy to put together this kind of meeting and keep it on course. But uh, from the inception of this meeting to the present time, they've not veered from the stated purpose, and that is to have an apostolic doctrine and holiness conference. And uh, I, I feel uh, that I'm standing in an unfettered pulpit. I don't feel any pressure to go this way or that way. I just The only pressure I feel is... Uh, hear from God and yes, and sir. give to us what God has said for us yes, to have. Amen. And I uh, looked at the schedule and I saw that I was scheduled to preach twice, and everybody else was preach one. It was to preach once. Now everybody can draw their own conclusions, but I was leaning toward that Elder Dudley was trying to save some money. If I preached twice, he didn't have to pay another preacher, but he straightened me out. He, he let me know that uh, the poorest preachers, he, he knew they couldn't get it done in one time, so he gave them two opportunities. And so that uh, I'm glad to understand that and know that. <laughs> and uh, I feel like it's very, very appropriate because in all honesty, I left, uh, I left somewhat frustrated after my first attempt to preach here because I just didn't feel like I did an adequate job and really got us to where God wanted us to go. And um, I'm not like young evangelists that blames the church every time somebody's not screaming and hollering. If I don't have it, I take personal responsibility for it. I mean, just time for me to do a little fasting, a little seeking God, some extra, until I can get that anointing that's not dependent on whether you're with me or not. All right. Because you can't obey God and preach what God wants you to preach and always have everybody riding with you. Come on, that's right. God didn't intend for us to get our inspiration from the congregation. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, to get our, I don't want to preach by inspiration that comes from the congregation. Right. I want to preach by anointing that comes from God. That's good. And so it was said to me by a dear friend, uh, and it was not in, it was not kidding, but they said, I really feel like 
that you didn't finish what needed to be taken care of on Wednesday night. And uh, at that time, well, I knew that was true, but uh, he said, I feel like God's going to let you finish that up today. Well, I, at the moment, I wasn't feeling that direction. I was feeling a different direction. But after that stirring message last night, and all these messages have been awesome. They've been incredible. I've learned and received from every one of them. And my dear, dear friend, Elder Moody, just outdid himself uh, here this morning. And uh, on my list of most admired men, there's two, well, there's several, but Brother D.C. Moody is absolutely one, a man in my life that I hold in such high esteem and admire him so greatly. And uh, he's an humble man. He doesn't feel worthy of that kind of, uh, of uh, appreciation, accolades. But um, anyway, uh, at the same time, uh, you and I know that he's worthy of it. And we need conviction. Amen. I had a stepped out a moment and had just a short exchange with a preacher that hasn't known Elder Moody near as long as I have. And he said, well, it's like he said, when you get to his age, you know, you just say whatever you feel like saying and not worry about it. I said, brother, I've known him almost 30 years or about 30 years. And he preaches exactly the same way he preaches when the first time I heard him. And he wasn't kidding when he talks about getting in trouble. In fact, of all of my friends, I've gotten in trouble over him more than all the rest of them put together. And there were those that put pressure on me in bygone years when I was hosting a meeting. And uh, why are you... Uh, letting Brother Moody preach. And, of course, they didn't have a vote in it, but they had an opinion. And uh, I told him, I said, he's going to preach because I feel like it's the will of God, and that's just the way it is. And uh, all of them, several of them, several of the group I'm talking about, more than half of them, have fallen into sin and are no longer in the ministry today. And the others, for the most part, have strayed so far from what we believe you wouldn't even recognize them today. I'm going to tell you something. When people don't like this kind of preaching, you mark them. Something is missing. I recognize the time is growing late, so I'm going to go ahead and move into the, uh, to what I feel to preach about today. If you'd like to stand, I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Acts, chapter number 8, beginning in verse 18. Again, thank you, Elder for this opportunity, this privilege, and also Pastor Dudley's well. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, 
he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Repent of your wickedness. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This man was in serious trouble. In serious trouble. But God has a remedy. And I want to preach with the help of the Lord on this subject, a divine diagnosis and remedy. A divine diagnosis and remedy. Would you pray with me one more time for God's will to be done? God, we need you. We need your help. I need you. Please be seated. Last evening at the conclusion of the service, prayer was still going on. And, of course, I love fellowship as much as any other preacher here. I felt the Spirit of God compelling me to get alone for a while. I told my wife to go ahead and go over to the fellowship with the ministers and their families. And I went to the room. I felt the need to just pray and talk to God because my spirit has been agitated and I felt a degree of spiritual frustration on me uh, from the beginning of this conference. And I encountered a spirit that I dealt with to a certain extent on Wednesday night, but I did not feel like that I had totally... Uh, uncovered it and conquered it and dealt with it as needed to be dealt with. And I began to pray and ask God. I said, God, I want to know what that spirit is that I'm up against. What is it that we are dealing with? And God began to talk to me about bitterness and iniquity. And I went into the word of the Lord and just almost immediately felt led to read here in the book of Acts, the 8th chapter. And I was amazed at the connection of the problem uh, that this man by the name of Simon, uh, this problem that he was 
uh, overcome with. And I notice here the verse of scripture that really stood out and really caught my attention is verse 23 when Peter said, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. I do not want to be offensive here in what I'm going to preach today, but I am going to open up some areas of your life that's going to make many of you very uncomfortable. But I have a job to do, and God has spoken to me, and there's times I step to a pulpit when I feel God has spoken to me. There's times when I feel quite confident that he has. And then there's times like today, I know without a doubt that God talked to me last night and again early this morning. And I want to talk about the spirit of iniquity that is not only in the world, but is affecting the church. And it's very clearly articulated in scripture that the main spirit that will oppose the church in the end time is this spirit of iniquity. Jesus, in answering the questions posed to him by his disciples, when shall these things be? When shall be your coming and the end of the world? In Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus began to answer those questions. And then he warned that one of the things that would be prevalent and that would greatly affect the church and the kingdom of God in the last days would be many false prophets that would arise and, and, uh, and uh, of course, invoke the name of the Lord, but they would lead many astray. And there is a strong, strong connection, a strong parallel and connection that is drawn here in Scripture between false prophets and their followers. And the Bible says in 2411 of Matthew, and many prophets, many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Many people you know have been and will be deceived by false prophets in this end time that we're living in. There are those that I'm preaching here today. Some of you will soon join the ranks of those that have been deceived by false prophets. And I'm going to show you why before I get through here today. And verse 12 says, and because iniquity shall abound. In other words, it's going to increase exponentially. The love of many shall wax cold. And so the spirit of iniquity is with us today. It's always been around. But we are in that period of time when it's not the iniquity that we faced 30 years ago and 50 years ago when I began my ministry. But in that period of time, in the last five decades, I have seen iniquity abound. Amen. People's attitudes have changed in the world. People's attitudes have changed in the church. We're beyond the day and time when as a man of God, we can set forth certain directives and our people say we will gladly follow it. But you've always got pushback. You've got opposition. You've got those that think they know better than you. You've got those that try to get into their Bible and figure out a way around what you're preaching and standing for. It is the spirit of iniquity that is fueling that kind of an attitude. 
Apostle Peter warned against the same spirit. And really, it's all about carnality. He warned that carnal people would walk after the flesh, after their lust, and despise spiritual authority. Listen in 2 Peter 2 and 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. This is not talking about the United States of America. Amen. It's not talking about the government or the authorities here in this city. Amen. But it's talking about God-ordained authority that he has placed within the church. He's preaching to the church here. And he's saying there will be those within the church that are going to be sensual. They're going to walk after the lust of their flesh. They have no conviction. Amen. They cater to their flesh. That's the what really rules them is what their flesh wants. There's no self-discipline. There's no self-control. Whatever their flesh wants, that's what they give it. Whatever the flesh wants to do, that's what they do. And these kind of people are dangerous to the kingdom of God. Amen. They are carnal. And a carnal person is a dangerous person. A carnal person is a person that will soon be used of the devil. Amen. To destroy what God is trying to do. I'm telling you, carnality is not some trivial matter. Amen. But it's something that is terminal. It will take your soul to hell. And you'll take others with you. And you will become a pawn in the hand of the enemy. But you know, there's people that you go to church with, saints of God, that speak against the man of God that speak against what he stands for, that always has some little snide remark, that's always trying to figure out how to get around what he said. And the Bible says these are presumptuous. That means they're daring. They almost dare you to say something about it. Amen. To do anything about it. They are self-willed, which means arrogant. Amen. Have you ever seen such an arrogant group of people it's what we deal with today those that are filled with presumptuousness amen arrogance amen daring and then it says and our uh, disrespect spiritual authority are not afraid to speak evil of dignities there'll be those walk out of here today that will mock something that this man of God said You're presumptuous. You're self-willed. You have no respect. You have no fear of the Lord. You're not afraid to speak evil against dignities. But God is going to mark you in this service today. You're part of those that's going to be purged out of the kingdom of God. Where we can have, amen, what those of us that really want God, we can have what we're after. Because God is going to purge his church. God's going to give you an opportunity to repent. But today, God is going to draw a line in the sand. You're going to get on one side or another. You're going to choose this day whom you will serve. Either your flesh or you're going to serve God. Amen. Who's going to be the Lord of your life? Your stinking rotten flesh or the Spirit of God and the Word of God? Peter just succinctly, amen, just sews this up. And concludes it by saying, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. You don't want 
the reward of unrighteousness. But that's what goes with living a self-willed life. You are lawless. You are a law to yourself. You pick and choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And you think you're getting by. But God's got your number. God's put a mark on you today. Amen. You're not going to go on like this much longer. Where did iniquity come from? Lucifer is the origin and the personification of iniquity. Ezekiel identified his spirit. And you know, we talk a lot about the actions of Lucifer, his insurrection, his rebellion, amen, his disloyalty, and how that he persuaded a third of the stars of heaven to follow after him. But we need to go beyond the action and just for a moment consider what caused him to act that way. Jesus said that the things which we say and do proceed from the heart. Amen. There are things, listen to me, I want you to catch what I'm fixing to say. There are things, actions, and deeds that you can repent of, but you can't repent for what you are. Amen. And when we deal with rebellion, it's rarely ever permanently settled. Because one can some come and say, Pastor, I'm sorry. I didn't do what you said to do. I was disobedient. I want you to forgive me. All right, that may take care of the surface problem, but it doesn't get to that root of iniquity. Amen. Where you don't want to be under submission to the law of God. You don't want to be accountable. Oh, I feel that spirit, but I've got the anointing to override it today. Amen. I'm standing here with a fearless boldness that the Holy Ghost has put upon me. Amen. And I'm telling you, amen, that God wants to deal with that spirit here before we leave this afternoon. Sit there smug if you want to, but soon you will reap the reward of unrighteousness. You're going to cry out for mercy, but it's too late. Amen. God's going to give you a wind of opportunity today, but it's not a large window. You don't have much time to get right with God. You're going to have to get serious with God like you never have before in your entire life or your time is over. Oh, God. Ezekiel said, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Amen. I could kind of spiritualize that and talk about those of us that have been privileged enough, amen, to taste of this glorious truth, amen, and to be in the presence of God and to be in services like we've been in this week and where we literally walked up and down in the stones of fire, amen. We have felt and seen the glory of God, amen. We have been blessed again and again and again with his presence, amen. And he said, uh, uh, but thou was perfect. In thy ways, from the day thou was created, my God, 
when God created you, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. You were a new man. Old things passed away. Behold, all things were new. You were perfect when you came into the church because God did a perfect work in your life. And everything was going well till iniquity was found in you. When that spirit of iniquity gets hold of a person, it radically changes them. They don't revert back to what they were before they came into the church. They're in a worse state than they were when they came into the church. Some of them might have been sinners, amen, beer drinkers, amen, immoral fighters, you call it whatever, amen, but they, they were not of uh, the same spirit that can get a hold of people in the church that reject the spiritual authority of God. That's how people in the world live, amen. But when you come into the church, we have a different calling. We have a different anointing. We have a different spirit upon us. And when you rebel against Spiritual authority, God's authority. People like that, if you show them in the Bible, they try to explain it away. Some of the biggest Bible students we have are people that are studying the Bible to get around what the Bible says. They don't study the word, amen, to be inspired, to be led, to be fed. They study the word looking for loopholes. They just sit around listening for a preacher to say one thing they can jump on and say that's not exactly what it meant. As though if they can find him using a wrong word, amen, uh, uh, because uh, of a limited vocabulary or whatever, now they can try to disregard everything he's preaching. That's a spirit of iniquity that's behind that kind of an attitude. But he said you were perfect till iniquity was found in thee. Then Isaiah goes a little bit further and gives us an insight as to how he went from being perfect to the epitome of iniquity. In verse 12 of Isaiah 14, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Everybody say fallen. fallen. Amen. Any way you go other than the way God has ordained is, is a fall. Amen. How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Now he gets down to the nitty gritty. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is where it's going on. This is where we keep it hidden. This is where the spirit of iniquity that is here in this place today, it's not on open display. It is hid in people's hearts and spirits. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Unsanctified ambition. Dissatisfied with their lot and their station, their position. They want to be something that God didn't call them to be. Or they want to be something that it's not yet their time to be. Amen. But they get something into their spirit. And he says, I will ascend into heaven. Hey, God's the only one that can promote you. When you try to ascend, you're on the wrong pathway. Amen. The way 
up is down. But when you, when you promote yourself, God is going to bring you to a great fall. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Let me tell you something, especially you young preachers. Quit trying to make contacts for the purpose of giving you advantage in the ministry. Quit looking for somebody to promote you. Quit looking for somebody's name and somebody's coattail you can get a hold of. And they're going to pull. They're going to uh, open doors for me. Hey, that's going to take you to destruction. You need to burn for souls. You need to get busy. Amen. Uh, studying the word of God and praying and seeking God. Promotion cometh from above. Self-promotion always ends up in destruction because it is fueled by the same spirit. Amen. That promoted Lucifer. I want to be a big shot. I want my name to be known. He said, I will sit also Upon the mount of the congregation. I want that exalted place. I want everybody looking at me. I want everybody thinking I'm some great preacher. I'm some, hey, it's in local churches too. Amen. I want to be, I want that position. I, I, I wanted to be that department head. I, I wanted to be over the young people. I wanted to be in charge of the music. I wanted to teach that class. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. Praise God. Why can't you sing without being over the singing? You want to teach? Get your Bible study chart and teach some Bible studies. You want to be a leader in worship? Be the first one on your feet praising God. And if God wants you up front, he'll put you up front. That's not the important thing. The important thing is to be in the will of God in the place where God has appointed you. Let's give the Lord some praise together. Thank you, Jesus. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul said, let no man deceive you by any means. How are they going to try to deceive you? With their music. With their programs. With their flatteries. With their pretty speeches. Amen. With their accolades. With the little things they pass out. He said, don't fall. For vain flatteries. Amen. Don't fall for empty, meaningless preaching. Amen. Don't fall to uh, 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 the seduction of the flatterer. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. What does that mean? That means be alert. Be on your toes. Pay attention to what your man of God is saying. Watch and see how he reacts and responds. I tell my people, I know what's going on in our area. If I don't announce it, that means don't go. I've got quite a few people here. You know why they're here? Because I announced it. And until I announced it, they wouldn't have come. That's the way it ought to be. 
How can he watch for your souls when you decide who you're going to listen to? And you don't have any more right to be trolling the internet to listen to this preacher and that preacher looking in on their church services. What's going on? Hey, it's none of your business what's going on over there. You're going to hear somebody say something that appeals to you when you're in a carnal frame of mind. Seeds of doubt and unbelief are going to be planted in your spirit and it will come up and it will bring forth a harvest. If your preacher wouldn't have them preaching in the pulpit of your local church, you don't need to be listening to what they're saying. On a CD, a tape, the internet, or any other place. But why? Because many of them are full of iniquity and they are agents of hell and they're pouring their seed of iniquity everywhere they go. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except they're coming falling away first. How many of you have got your mind made up today? I'm not going to be part of that falling away first. You will be unless you get some conviction. You will be unless you learn how to submit yourself to the word of God and to the man of God. Somebody said you always talking about preachers, preachers, preachers. You're up promoting one another. You know what? You don't even know what you're talking about. You are full of spiritual ignorance. Everything is under authority. There's no no saint in my church that's more accountable than what I am. You know why the elder said just a few minutes ago, he referred to me and others that he is accountable to, that he talks to. Hey, he practices what he preaches. And if you're a member of this church, you ought to be thankful for that. This church wouldn't be in the shape it's in if everybody that's pastored it had followed that course. I defy that spirit. I defy that spirit. By the help of God, I'm going to uncover it and reveal it before I get through here today. We're going to deal with this. We're going to settle something today. You're going to decide which side you're on. The man of sin who opposes and exalts himself above everything that's called God. I answer to no one. I'm my own man. I get my directions from God. So do I. But one of the things that God directed me to do is to submit myself and be accountable to others. That's God's program. He didn't exempt anybody, anyone, anyone, no one, no one, no one, no one. He's exempt from God's plan. But he's against everything God's for. He's exalted himself 
and opposed everything that is called God or that is worship. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now how much different is that from somebody that disagrees with what's preached? And so they decide, I'm not going to do that. Where is the temple of God? What? Know ye not that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you crawl up on that throne... going to do where when how I have exalted myself and oppose everything that's of God and I have become my own pastor I've become my own Lord my own king and you do the same thing against God because this is God's program He said, remember you not? When I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. I'm going to tell you, it's revelation time. There's a revealing that's going on in the church. I told you Wednesday night that God had already started uncovering some and he spoke to me and said, I've just gotten started. I'm going to start uncovering these workers of iniquity, these false prophets, and I'm glad he is. Somebody said, isn't that terrible? I said, no, it's wonderful. We don't need liars in the pulpit. We don't need hypocrites. We don't need adulterers. We don't need sodomites. We don't need compromisers. We don't need arrogant, self-willed, presumptuous people that oppose and exalt themselves against everything that's called godliness. But it's going to be revealed. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Something's been holding it back for a while. What is it? It just wasn't God's time. But I'm here to tell you that God is, the time has come that God is ready to start revealing that spirit of iniquity. And judgment must begin at the house of God. We're not talking about in the world, we're talking about right here. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Man of sin, mystery of iniquity, iniquity, capital W, wicked, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Well, Brother Howard, that's futuristic. I'm going to tell you what. God's in this place today. Hallelujah. The light of truth has been shown in this con to this congregation today. And when God shows up, he judges. When Jesus visited the temple, he judged it and he dealt with business. He took care of business. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has come. Amen. Right here in Junction City to Faith Tabernacle to this apostolic uh, doctrine and holiness conference. He's in this place and he said, get out of the way. I'm in charge. I'm going to judge this situation. I'm going to take care of business. It's my church.
let's give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. These are the things that Jesus warned us about at Matthew 24. Why they told me my social security number. Well, thank God he sent somebody by to tell your social security number. Now, how much were you edified by that? If you didn't know what it was, he should have prayed for you that God would heal you of Alzheimer's. They're sorcerers. But lying signs and wonders after the working of the power of Satan. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. They're going to deceive you so much that you're going to follow them into unrighteous, simple, licentious activities that you never would have thought of even when you were in the world. When you pervert the doctrine, it will also follow close by, close behind. Amen. That the flesh is going to get perverted. The word's going to be perverted. The spirit's going to be perverted. It all fits hand in glove. Rare if ever is the man that has preached this truth that begins to preach another gospel is not only immoral. I just consider them as immoral because what they've done is more perverted than committing adultery with a woman or even committing sexual perversion with somebody of the same gender. There's nothing more disgusting to me than somebody that will take this precious truth and pervert it. They're not my friends. They might have used to be, but I'm not going to be drinking coffee with them. I'm not going to be going on trips with them. I was invited to go on a trip some years ago and it was going to be all preachers. And, and I agreed to go. And then after arrangements were being made, then I found out that there was going to be a couple of preachers there, amen, that uh, uh, had been immoral. I found out there was going to be uh, some preachers there that was really, really, really beyond the pale, loosed, compromiser. I said, I can't do this. And I called the man that invited me. And I didn't make excuses. I said, I could tell you, I, I'm busy and I am. I said, but I'm going to just tell you what my reason for not going in. We're going to be in a remote area for about 10 days. I said, I'll be the most miserable person on the face of the earth sitting there looking at that adulterer and sitting there looking at that false prophet and those preachers that are so, oh, but they're a lot of fun to be around. They're not fun for me to be around. 
Father said, my Holy Ghost is not comfortable around those kind of people. The Bible says, don't even wish them Godspeed. You don't need to be following their blogs. Who cares? My God, I didn't intend to say all of that, but it needs to be said. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. This is far bigger than we think it is. Do you believe the truth? You believe in one God? You believe it takes Acts 2.38 salvation to make it? Got to be born again in the water and the spirit? You believe in holiness? Separation unto God? All right, everybody said, whoa, he's got, would you fight for it? Would you die for it? We think he's got it made. But hold it just a moment. Do you love this kind of truth? I'm going to use you don't know yet. Don't say yes, sir, till you find out because I'm going to trick you, okay? I'm not trying to trick you, but you're tricked already without me trying. You're easy is what I'm saying. I don't even have to work for this one. But listen to me, son, listen to me. What if I was to tell you, I'm not your pastor. I don't know where you're from. Who is your pastor? Okay, that's good. I'm glad I picked on one of his young men. That's good. That's perfect. What if Pastor Dudley was to say, what's your name? Ethan. All right, Ethan. What if Pastor Dudley said, looked at you and I and said, Ethan, you've got a bad spirit. Do you love that kind of truth? Can you take it? Will you repent or will you argue? I'm not worried about Acts 2.38 amongst this bunch of people. But when the word of God searches you out and the candle of the Lord, which is the spirit of man, shines into your heart, what kind of reaction does God get out of you then? Do you still love the truth? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You got to know more than Acts 2.38 to be set free. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love the truth, I love the truth, I love the truth. I love it when it's doctrine. I love it when it's pointing a light on me. Give me truth or give me death because that's what you're going to have without the truth. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated for a minute. I still got some work to do. In our scripture text, I introduced to you this character by the name of Simon. There's one in every church. There's one in every fellowship. There's one in every conference. Somewhere lurking. In the shadows, the spirit of Simon is always around. And so the book of Acts 8 chapter begins by talking about the great persecution which arose 
after the miracles and, and the tremendous growth of the early church. One of the seven, Stephen was called into question because he was preaching. One of the seven that waited tables. He was preaching this great and glorious gospel and he was called before the Sanhedrin and they condemned him to death. They took him outside the city walls and they stoned him to death. Saul was present. Saul was consenting. Saul held the garments of the young men that cast the stones. And Saul was so stirred up. This, he got bloodthirsty. Amen. This ignited uh, uh, something in him. This excited uh, something in him, he became very zealous and he became the leader of this persecution. And he was so good at it, he pressed the persecution against the Christians in Jerusalem until they began to flee from there out of fear for their lives. And as they, as they fled uh, from that area, uh, as these believers fled for their lives, everywhere they went, they were preaching the gospel. So this was an involuntary dispersion. I don't doubt but what God allowed it to happen. Amen. So that he could get the gospel away uh, beyond Jerusalem. He said it's to be in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But here we are several years into this and the revival still localized there in Jerusalem and surrounding area. The persecution dispersed them. Elder Moody made reference to the day that we may have to trust God for the food on our table. And other things, you look at that and say, uh, hey, God may allow for our own benefit. When that day comes, we won't have to spend near as much time getting on to our people about not praying like they should. That's all, the t that's all they'll have time for. They'll have all the time they need for praying because there's not going to be much else going on. And so if that comes, amen, it may be that God ordains it for our salvation. Philip fled to the city of Samaria, the capital city of the nation of Samaria, and began preaching Jesus, and that's in verses 5 through 8. The Samaritans were convicted, convinced, and converted when they saw the miraculous working of God's power. I wish I had time to deal with that, but we need more of that in our day and hour. There were people that were demon-possessed in the spirits went out of them crying out with a loud voice. People were cured of dreadful diseases. Some that are mentioned are uh, palsy and lameness and other things. And verse 8 says, this brought great joy. To that city, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing to bring joy like a great revival. Amen. But the Bible says there was this man named Simon. Simon the sorcerer. And everybody held him in high esteem as some great power of God. And he was promoting that. He bewitched the people, the Bible says. He used his sorceries to convince them that he had this inside track on the power of God. But when the truth came, and when the true working of the Holy Ghost came, he was exposed for the charlatan that he was. And now he's had to take a back seat. And Philip, this nobody, amen, just a, just a worker in the church of Jerusalem is being used mightily of God to show to that people, amen, what the true power of God is all about. The Bible speaks concerning him that he used his 
uh, his witchcraft, his magic, all the tricks of the trade, casting of lots, divining, and so forth, to deceive and convince the people he possessed this great spiritual power. Verse 10 tells us the people were totally under his control, and they all followed after him, looking to him as some great spiritual leader. They were controlled by this imposter that had deceived them. If you think this is not an age of deception, people will follow after anything phony and flashy. All you got to do is put some strobe lights on it and some loud, raucous music or rap. But here they go. That's why they're bringing it into the church because they are reaching for the same kind of people that's going to the rock concerts. But not to save them, but to get them in their building to make them some great person and to line their coffers with silver and gold. And so when they saw the power of God, I'm going to tell you something. As Elder Moody said, I feel like I'm just tagging on to his message. And God knows how to put these things together. Amen. But uh, uh, when they uh, heard the gospel, when they heard the true message of God, it resonated with them. They believed it. They obeyed it. And they were baptized. So Simon says... I kind of miss being the big shot. I kind of miss all the attention that I used to get. I kind of miss all the favors and the money that my power brought to me. I better join up with everybody else and see if I can rise to prominence in the church. And so that's what he did. But I don't want to mess with Scripture here. I don't want to misinterpret this. And the Bible says, so I'm going to take it at face value, that Simon also believed and was baptized. But something happened between his baptism and the Scripture text that I read to you today. Something went south. Something went the wrong direction. And so as yet none had received the Holy Ghost. The apostles in Jerusalem had heard what was going on. They sent Peter and they sent John down there uh, to more or less check things out and bring a report. And when they got there and began to observe what was going on, they realized this was a real, real, genuine move of God. And I'm going to tell you something. I've only got to go to Africa one time, but I was there in June. And I want you to understand, there are some really sincere men and women that are being converted to this glorious truth. They're embracing it. They're bringing others in. Amen, brother. Riggin can't even have a teaching conference uh, because they show up with 30 or 40 or 50 more uh, Trinitarian preachers that want to know about the truth. (laughs) 
Brother Regan, how many was baptized when I was there with you? Seems like it was okay. Just and and that was a teaching conference. Somebody said, "Well, that's 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 no." I'm gonna tell you what. This is different than the stuff you read about in magazines. God still knows how to hook up a man of God with the Ethiopian eunuch. Simon embraced the truth and was baptized. But Peter and John came down and they said, these people don't have the Holy Ghost. And so they began to lay hands on the people and prayed for them to receive the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you what happened. When they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Do y'all still believe in that? I hope you do because I practice it. If you don't believe in that, don't fellowship with me. Or come on and believe what I believe and then we can fellowship. Because this is in the Bible. I said it's in the Bible. When I lay hands on people that supposedly has repented and they don't get the Holy Ghost, the next thing I want to know, what are they hiding from God? We prayed and prayed and prayed with a lady. And I went to her just a few services ago last Sunday. I laid hands on her and prayed for her. I felt the anointing. I felt the power of God. She should have gotten the Holy Ghost. And she didn't. She stammered around a little bit. I stopped her. I said, okay, I need to talk to you. What's going on? What are you holding back from God? And she said, well, I'm smoking. Okay. That's why she wasn't getting the Holy Ghost. Do y'all believe that? They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that, he said, here's my opportunity. They're going to leave. Somebody needs, needs somebody around here can lay hands on people to get the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I'm going to be the leader of this movement. And so he offered a sum of money, and he said, give me this gift where I can lay hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost. See, it wasn't about a burden. It's about self-promotion. And I'm going to tell you something. Peter didn't fool around about it. Well, we could use this money to promote the gospel. There's some money you don't want. Amen. And so, Peter pronounced a curse on him. He said, thy money perish with you. Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. There's some people that's used to buying their way into everything, controlling everything with their money. We don't need people sitting in our churches that owns the preacher with their money. I've had to do it more than once and I'll do it again. Your money perish with you. You take your money with you and go somewhere else. Amen. This is more than money. This is more than financial success. This is more than great buildings. This is the kingdom of God. Peter told him, he said, your heart is not right with God. We need confrontational preaching. 
We need a preacher that'll look us right between the eyes and tell us when our heart's not right with God. And we need to listen when he tells us. So I'm here to the crux of my message. Peter, spiritually, diagnosed Simon's problem. Two things. First of all, he said, you are in the gall of bitterness. And secondly, he told him that you are in the bond of iniquity. Let's talk about the gall of bitterness just for a moment. I won't be much longer, but I am to the place in my message that God forcefully talked to me about. Amen. Everything I've set up till now is just to set the stage to bring you to this moment of I hope to be revelatory truth for you to be able to see yourself. I ask everybody that's a part of this congregation today to open your mind up to receive the word of the Lord. And I want you to ask God to search your heart and let you see whether or not this involves you. Right in the book of Hebrews in 12, 15 said, looking diligently, you've got to be ever so careful about bitterness. Bitterness has such a power to destroy us spiritually. He said, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Listen to me. I don't care what you go through. God's grace will sustain you if you will reach out for it. People make all kinds of excuses. I rarely ever talk about my own problems, but I've been through as much as anybody sitting here today. People were watching to see if I would give up, if I would change, or whatever. How I've had people say, you're the strongest person I've ever met. People in the world have said that to me. Every person that said that to me, I've corrected them and said, you don't know how weak I am. But every day, sometimes every minute of the day, I ask God for grace to just take one more step. And his grace is sufficient. So don't give me your excuses. Don't tell me about what all you've been through. Amen. And just more than you could bear. The reason you couldn't bear it is because you didn't go to the burden bearer with it. How do you fail the grace of God? You fail when you don't ask for it. You fail when you don't reach for it. Because I don't care what's going on in your life, you have no excuse to get bitter. I was preaching for Elder Moody. Been there several nights. And the last night I told Elder Moody, as soon as church is over, get the altar service, I need to get home on a Friday night. And I just walked out into the foyer when I got the phone call about my daughter. 33-year-old, mother of two children, two boys, ages six and nine. And that's when I found out that she had collapsed in a Walmart in the Tulsa area, Super Walmart, and that she had been, she was in bad shape. She'd been taken to the hospital. My son's the one that got a hold of me, so I got a hold of him. And just Friday night, people here and there, they, they, they weren't able to reach her husband, and my wife was, uh, uh, I don't think she had her phone with her or something. Anyway, 
I didn't know for an hour or more whether she was alive or dead. And when the word finally came to me, I was driving down I-40 as fast as I could possibly drive without killing myself or someone else. And the call came. And the first thing I said was, devil, you're going to regret that you've done this. I'm going to make you pay over and over and over. And the second thing I told God, I said, God, I'm not going to question you and ask you why. Number two, I am not going to become bitter. I'm going to become better. Number three, when I get through this, I'm going to use what I've learned to help other people. And by the help of God, I, I hate to talk about myself. Please don't think I'm boasting. I'm as weak as anybody here. But by the help of God, not one time have I entertained the thought of why. Not one time have I even considered blaming God for what happened. His ways are perfect. His ways are past finding out. Amen. Don't say you're trusting God when you question him when something happens you don't understand. Nine months later, I'm kneeling in the floor of my son's bedroom that lived right there close by us. His cold body, rigor mortis, was already trying to sit in. And he died alone in his home that night. Both children, they didn't really know for sure, but apparent heart attack maybe. And here I am. My wife found him first, which I hate to this day. But she has that image in her mind. But I, I said, God, <clears throat> you're able to raise my son from the dead. Because the preceding year I had been preaching about divine healing and the restoration of it. Preached at several places. Preached at other places besides in the United States and we were seeing a lot of people healed, a lot of good things happen. Been preaching at my church. And I told and I've seen uh, I've seen God raise several people from the dead. I'll just put it that way. And and I know he can and I know he will. But every time I've seen him raise somebody from the dead, you know there's a quickening. There's a an unction of the spirit. It doesn't work off of what I want or what you want. This has to be the working of miracles and, and the gift of faith and operation for somebody to be raised from the dead. You don't just flip the switch on because somebody died and I want them to be raised from the dead. That's not how it works. And I said, God, if you desire to receive glory from this by raising my son from the dead, I will declare, I will speak to him and command life to come into his body. And God spoke to me and said, I took him. It was my will. And I said, God, I accept your will. But I really wish I could have had him a little bit longer. That's the closest I've come to saying anything that wouldn't bring honor to God. But while I'm still on my knees, I said, God, I am not going to question you. 
I'm not going to become bitter. And when I get through this, I'm going to use what I've learned to help someone else. I hope I'm helping someone else right now because it's very painful for me to talk about this. It's painful for my wife. I hate to say anything like this in her presence. It's her children. I want to tell you something. God's given me grace to get through it. I'm not boasting. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that God gave me, amen, the ability to reach out to him when I couldn't take another step. (laughs) I've had to lay in bed and cry and ask God to give me enough grace to get out of bed. I know what it's like to not want to be around anybody or see anyone. To know that in this life I'll never see my children again. To look at my five grandchildren that was bereft of a parent because of death. It all happened in nine months span of time. And in between the worst insurrection and problem that's ever arisen in my ministry took place in between. I want to tell somebody here today, getting bitter or not getting bitter is a choice. You make up your mind. I may not understand, but I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed into his hands against that day. Do you trust the Lord today? Job showed us how to do it. Though thou slay me, yet will I trust him. And I want to tell this church something today. I know this is a conference, but I've got to obey God. Many of you are still struggling with the root of bitterness. And God wants to deliver you from that today. That root of bitterness is troubling you. It's hurting you. It's bothering you. It's hurting your family. It's hurting your marriage. It's hurting your friendships. It's hurting your relationship with your man of God. It's hurting your relationship with God himself. Lest any root of bitterness. <laughs> Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby many be defiled. I will tell you, you can't pamper bitter feelings. You can't play with it. You can't mess around with it. It's more deadly than a rattlesnake. It's more deadly than a king cobra. It's more deadly than nuclear waste. It's more deadly than anything natural that we could ever talk or think about. 
but it's something that gets down in your spirit and begins to erode it away. Bitterness oftentimes comes in the aftermath of a wounded spirit. When something wounds your spirit, if you don't put up a guard, a little root of bitterness is going to begin to grow on the surface. And it may grow for a year, two years, five years, or ten years. But the day is coming when it's going to spring up. It's going to manifest itself. And when it manifests itself, it's going to be tragic. It's going to be devastating. It's going to destroy you. Simon had a root of bitterness. Why did he have a root of bitterness? Because he lost his place. Because he didn't get to do what he wanted to do and be what he wanted to be. He's envious. He's jealous. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's hurt. He's bitter. Let me tell you one more thing about bitterness. Bitterness causes people to feel like I no longer have to be submitted because I've been hurt. My God, I feel like laying down on this platform and weeping. If you can feel my heart today, (laughs) I'd rather finish weeping than preaching. But I got a little bit more I have to say before I give you, before I make an altar call. <laughs> Peter said, I perceive. And I'm not, I'm just tired of making explanations. But the Holy Ghost visited me last night. And I perceive, I perceive that there are those here, and I'm going to get real pinpointed, members of this local congregation, I perceive that there's some of you that are in the gall of bitterness. Oh, it's so miserable to try to live with bitterness in your life. It robs you of your joy. It robs you of your peace. It robs you of your relationship with God. It robs your relationship with those that you love dearly. And secondly, he said, you are in the bond of iniquity. That's literally talking about somebody taken prisoner by one of the Roman soldiers, come help me, Trent. And what it means that the guard, you're his prisoner, 
and you're in shackles. He takes you by the right hand and you're bound to him everywhere you go. And I'm telling you, iniquity, it's a place of bondage. You think you're free. You think you have liberty. But you're deceived. You're bound. Because everywhere you go, you are bound to your sin. You're bound to your iniquity. You can't leave it and go on a vacation. It goes with you on vacation. You can't leave it and go to church. It goes with you to church. You can't leave it when you get home with your family. It goes with you to the house. You can't get away from it when you're on the job. You're bound to it. You're bound. 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 By iniquity. Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. This is not my imagination, people. This is in your Bible. Iniquity is the greatest sin there is. It is the source of sin. Let me read it again. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. His own iniquities shall take him. And he shall be holden or bound with the cords of his sins. I want everybody to stand. I've talked about a divine diagnosis. By the help of God, I've done my best to diagnose a problem. That God said... It's big enough and important enough that I'm interrupting this entire conference to minister to this local church. It wasn't an accident that I was asked to speak two times because God had a job for me to do. I didn't know what it was until it began to unfold. But God wants to, God wants to help somebody today. Iniquity will make you say things you didn't mean to say. It'll make you do things you didn't mean to do. It'll give you feelings that you know is not right, but you don't know what to do about it. And it's always coupled with pride. Pride wants to prevent you from confessing your sins. So you can once and for all eradicate iniquity and bitterness from your spirit. There is no remedy where there is no confession and repentance. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The divine remedy is to repent.
you've made excuses for too long. You've given yourself way too much slack. You've excused yourself. But it's time to get honest. Don't leave until you get this taken care of. Don't leave until you have thoroughly repented and purged bitterness and iniquity out of your heart. And then you're not finished until you confess to your man of God. And you promise him, I'm going to submit to your leadership. I'm going to let you pastor me the way that a pastor ought to be able to pastor his people. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help me, God.
Come on, let's, let's really dig in. Don't be ashamed to cry out to God. Oh, God.
I think every member of Faith Tabernacle needs to be down here in this altar right now. There shouldn't be anybody from Faith Tabernacle standing or sitting in this congregation. Every member of this church ought to be up here in this altar. I don't know why you're not already up here. After this message has come to Faith Tabernacle, why are you still sitting back, standing back up, back yonder? Every member of Faith Tabernacle should be up here in this altar right now.